Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Angel. And I, I guess it's not quite right to say welcome back. This is the inaugural broadcast of The Angel, a companion podcast to The Accelerator. I'm Michael Conniff, your host for both. Um, and we are attempting to bring together investors, family offices, angels, VCs with uh, startups and founders and, and accelerators and entrepreneurs um, so we're very happy to be here today with uh, our inaugural guest, Brian Wayne. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Very, uh, very excited. Very pleased like, for you I'm, to bring me on board for for this inaugural. Yeah, I um, don't know if I, I'll pro- try not to call you a guinea pig, but <laughs> but I appreciate you're a good sport. I've been, and I appreciate- I've been called worse. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you doing this. And Brian Wayne is the co-founder and director of the venture credit strategy at, uh, pardon me, the impact venture credit strategy at Aegon Asset Management uh, based in Los Angeles. Um, and he's had a, a long road to get here, which which I want to talk about. But what, what I'm very curious about these days is um, in particular, let's start with this, this, uh, this group that you're in right now. You call it impact venture uh, credit and impact investor, uh, impact venture credit, and and also lending and investing. How do you define impact in this context? In the context of your company, it's a great question. It's a great question because it, impact is 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 definitely um, a term that's used in a lot of different capacities in the investment industry, in the philanthropic space. To and it's really about the in, intentionality and outcomes, and ultimately additionality. What what is being what is being solved and created and measured. So when we look at impact, impact is is there's a materiality to what you're what you're investing in, and those uh, different types of outcomes can be measured via KPIs to be solving something. So we look at it as you know, in, in, in the particular case of impact venture credit, we focus exclusively around climate tech, climate technologies. So think about, you know, mitigating, adapting around, um, you know, carbon emissions, GHG emissions to really, to really solve for things around climate change. And when we think about impact, it's really about understanding when we're deploying capital or investing in companies, that we can track certain KPIs and understand that our deployable capital is actually making uh, meaningful and material change over time as the companies grow and we're supporting that growth um, and either be them reducing waste or them mitigating carbon via using you know renewable energy. Um, mm-hmm. Those types of things are all trackable, measurable. And and so it's interesting. So you're sort of starting with the outcome and in a way working backwards. But there's a level of um, maybe not a moral judgment, but you're making a judgment uh, on what it is necessary. Forgive me for saying this, but to save the planet, essentially, what are the things we have to do now to make sure that we are here in 100 years or 200 years? So how certain are you? of the outcome and the outcome as a positive manifestation of impact. So having a positive impact in mind, 
it's still a bit of a guessing game, isn't it? At least to some degree. Yeah. So, you know, through, through my journey, I've, I've participated in various areas of the investment landscape and the public markets and private markets and, and a lot of which has been in private markets across private equity, venture capital, mm -hmm. private debt. And I, I find that direct investing in opportunities or um, a version thereof, even if it's investing in funds that are direct, doing direct investing on, on the private side of things, you can be very intentional about what you're investing in the companies are doing and what those companies are solving for. Um, and so a lot of it is there's, there's, I mean, endless amount of research dependent on the type of topic you're looking at. So uh, again, when we're investing in say a company that's um, for example, uh, that is doing something in, in the solar energy space and mm -hmm. solar energy. So it's solar energy installation that is going on homes and it's mitigating the use of either, um, you know, you know, natural gas resources, um, or, you know, if you're from the Northeast, which I'm originally from, we grew up and had like an oil burner in, in the basement, which is, which is, uh, which is unbelievable to think that, you know, that's still, uh, the type of technology that's used to, to heat, heat homes. Um, and, uh, but there's also other things on, you know, offsetting the needs of grid utilization grid and the grid uses things like um, different power sources that aren't coming from renewable energy. So being able to do that at a, at a clean source of energy, it is quite measurable. I mean, there's statistical evidence that you're, you're augmenting or offsetting what is being for fossil fuel usage. And you can see it through the life cycle from, you know, with fossil fuels through the extraction, through transportation, through the utilization and burning to, um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle there. So those things are, are very, and you know, you can get to different types of investments that become uh, more difficult to measure in the kind of externalities. There's been a lot of regulation um, that is that is going forth and, you know, led by Europe, for example, in the different types of scope emissions. So scope one, two, and three. Um, and essentially it's through uh, life cycle um, analysis to understand from, you know, from cradle to, to grave, um, what exactly is taking place through the life cycle of something being created. So as a product and that being said, so from raw materials, where those are coming from to how they're actually being constructed into a product mm -hmm. through the manufacturing to how it's being used and therefore disposed of, or in a lot of cases where we're seeing, um, circularity is, is a really big topic that we're focused on and understanding mm -hmm. on not only just kind of recycling, but, you know, repurposing of, of inputs or upcycling of, of waste materials to then be put back into a process to be reused again. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can really track a lot of these, these attributes. Give, give us a, a real world example. Um, sure. So, I mean, there's, uh, of, of things around circularity. Circularity or even just, uh, examples where you really have, uh, can measure the outcome and be confident about the result. Sure. So, you know, in one aspect, it's looking at what 
is displacing on an alternative um, out there. Mm -hmm. And so those things are quite easy to, to measure is saying, as I, as I you know, alluded to before, you have things that are um, you know, using renewable energy resources uh, versus fossil fuel. And if you're offsetting the need for fossil fuels, you can certainly measure what that difference is. And you're not, um, you're not creating uh, any type of carbon emissions that you would from, from, um, from burning fossil fuels. Um, I mean, there's, there's lots of different examples of companies that are um, doing things to really understand um, how to, um, things around say carbon, carbon capture technology. So if you're going to get into yeah. very specific types of things on interesting avenues, there's companies that are doing things that are taking um, carbon capture uh, type of technologies to essentially either bolt onto existing manufacturing facility like cement or others that are very, very mm -hmm. pollutant in their, in their process of, of manufacturing mm -hmm. and take and capture that carbon and then take that and then reuse it for something else. So you can change the chemical makeup and put it into, um, you can put it into other products and create things out of it. For example, uh, a company um, that, that we're evaluating uh, currently takes um, methane and puts it with uh, microbes that eat the methane. And Therefore, and then it goes into bioreactors or fermentation tanks with other chemicals. Um, uh, and they're able to turn this uh, product um, into, into something that is an alternative to plastic. And it's fully biodegradable. And so you take this and it comes out through the whole process. It turns into pellets. Those pellets can be thermal molded into other things they currently make you know, uh, things like straws, cutlery, other things. You take this product, like a straw, you put it in water in two weeks, it fully is, it biodegrades. Um, so mm. things like that are, are fantastic new technologies and initiatives that, that have been coming mm. out, but have taken a significant amount of time to ramp up to commercialization stage. What's, what's really interesting is the advent and the, the continuation of, um, of various technologies um, have been supported a lot more so um, by investors, uh, especially on ones that need things for a level of capital intensity. So that, that's, that's always been a challenge of, of nascent technologies that are out there that, that have a lot of raw material usage, they need infrastructure in place, they need other things, and all of those things need capital. Fortunately, it's it's been uh, it's continued to snowball in the investment community um, via a lot of different inputs to um, and driving forces to have more money go into the space to try and solve things like climate change um, or or social impact initiatives, and it's driven really from a few different areas. Investors on their on their interest and appetite from. Uh, certain demographics that really want to have purpose alongside their investment returns. Um, there's also corporate entities that ha have then been uh, driven via their consumers on the same vein to say, we want more sustainable type of products. We want, you know, 
we want mm -hmm. to see you do things with a with a, a better ESG profile. Um, and so they've had many commitments, as you see, from all of you know the major Fortune 500 corporations that have net zero targets. Those is it's an interesting avenue because there's there's a direct intersection that's happening between the public markets, like with a lot of these public companies that have net zero targets and private early stage technology companies, mm. because they're looking to either invest or buy those products because they've committed to them. And then the last piece of it is on um, on uh, legislation and, and, uh, and regulation, which has really, really mm. helped to uh, provide a launch pad for a lot of, um, you know, nascent technologies, especially with more recently um, with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which essentially is mm -hmm. is a you know multi hundred billion dollar climate change bill to help fund mm -hmm. various projects various technologies that are trying to help mitigate uh, climate change so um, that's really interesting and and I wanted to ask you I think you're a good person to ask there's a writer named David Wallace Wells who wrote essentially a doomsday kind of book about climate change uh, maybe two or three years ago. He's now at the New York Times uh, as, a, as a writer, and he has become much more optimistic. Um, he has gone from saying, like, we're really screwed, <laughs> you know, we're screwed as many ways we, as we can be screwed, to saying, well, it's still going to be bad, in a lot of ways, but maybe it's not going to be as bad as we thought. Do you do you agree with that, or can you shed any light onto kind of that kind of thinking? Is there reason for optimism that didn't exist five years ago? Yeah. So for um, a lot of those th reasons that I that I um, mentioned just now, there's a lot of uh, um, rolling change that is happening across the global economy to really shift the narrative generally to say we can actually do things to to make positive change in how we are operating our life business um, and and trying to adapt um, to climate change and that's that's the that's the piece right there is adapt adaptation so I think one of the big mm. things has been for the last you know several years is you know how do we curb climate change it's come more recently to the understanding that we can't fully curb climate change given all of the different externalities and moving parts of the entire global economy and how everyone operates their lives can't have a wholesale shift. So there's there's a complementary type of piece on looking at how do we mitigate various things that are, are that are really forcing um, you know the the warming of the planet, but also uh, how do we invest in technologies to for adaptation. Um, because um, there's things that are going to change. We're not necessarily going to reach, you know, the the warming target that we're seeking to do that has been called out globally. But there's a lot of things that we can do to to start to adapt to um, those different types of of needs. So, I, end of story. Uh, you know, end of the end of the day, there the narrative is a lot more positive because. There's so many more stakeholders that are dedicated and involved globally to help um, really, really drive um, a lot, a lot of change. 
Yeah, don't say end of story. That that gets me scared. But uh, <laughs> end of the day is better than end of the story. Yeah. Um, but Brian, I also want to ask you: have been in private equity and venture capital, and now you've you've um, moved um, in your career from uh, Boston to Chicago. Now you're in LA, um, so there's been a, a bit of a journey there. But do you remember? And 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 I assume you weren't always in impact investing, so that this was probably a process. I'm guessing. So, did you have an aha moment in in your career in which you said, you know, I really should be spending 100% of my time on this stuff that I I'm assuming it's obvious you care about it. Um, was there something that happened in your career or, or what was it that sort of brought you to this real, or was it dumb luck? What was it that brought you to this, this place in this realization? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've had that question come up a lot in the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, reflecting back, there's, there's a lot of different elements that have influenced it. Um, when I was in, in Boston, I started my career at a firm called Congress Asset Management. And it was a, a boutique investment manager, boutique by forms of investment management. I, by the time I left, I think it had about $10 billion uh, under management in comparison to Aegon Asset Management, which is a Dutch-based global investment manager with approximately $350 billion um, under management. Um, not all impact investing, trying to get there though. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different things. A lot of the influence I saw was via various clients that we had across, um, the firm that in different investment strategies that were looking to do things as, as early as, you know, um, you know, in the, in the earlier, I guess, uh, two thousands with, um, you know, social responsive, uh, responsible investing SRI, um, which is, was driven a lot by, um, you know, different types of clients that really were looking at it, foundations, um, you know, dioceses, other types of clients that we had that were kind of restricting their view on what not to invest in. And that, mm -hmm. that translated into others where, you know, there was more, there was more research and availability of information and data behind companies and, 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 um, and through that able to really start to think more proactively on more an inclusionary process on like which companies mm -hmm. can be doing, doing things a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the big things, honestly, we had a client um, on the, on the private equity and venture capital side, when I was at uh, Congress Asset Management, which was the Electrical Workers Union. And they always looked for opportunities to have more uh, investments um, that were uh, focused around supporting their pension, which were electrical workers. And a lot of that was, you know, we started seeing uh, a lot of things in the electrification of industries and a lot of growth in those. And think, you know, this is probably 2013. 14. And that started to roll in that aha moment for me on saying, you know, we there's opportunities to really invest and invest more directly and intentionally on kind of transition of technologies, of industries uh, that perhaps might have a longer sustainability, not 
purely on, um, you know, just the, the economics, but just sustainability from say an environmental or social per, uh, perspective. And so that's really where mm. I started to drive a significant amount of interest. 2017, um, I joined Aegon and, and moved to Chicago. And really everything that I was focused on is helping to find opportunities to coalesce um, the whole investment philosophy globally around responsible investment and the different types of asset classes that we're involved in, and also start some new businesses focused around sustainability and be very intentional about it. Ultimately, it led to three years ago, um, a colleague of mine and I had uh, previously um, put together a sustainability thesis on long-term secular shifts in sustainability and how to, how to uh, you know, research and identify companies that are, we're really going to buck the trend over a long term uh, via their mm. practices on, uh, say, an ESG profile from their company's operations, but even further. So this is five years ago. Five years ago, you're thinking this. Correct. Story. Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. And then so um, fast forward about three, three and a half years ago, uh, we came back together and, and we said, we need to do something that's very intentional. My background is a lot in the pr uh, private markets. Same with my, my colleague. We need to do something that's very intentional, that's a bit differentiated in the marketplace. I've spent time in venture uh, and, and private equity and do something that really supports climate related type of uh, um, companies at really the early stage through their life cycle to, to continue to, mm -hmm. to support their growth but do it in something that was not very, um, uh, wasn't really uh, in the market. So there's a lot of really good intentional venture capital equity investors. Um, and um, what we found was really on the kind of creative capital side or debt side of things, um, there, there weren't many that were very intentional on doing things around impact and climate. So I said, what if we adapt something that we can do things more on debt type of financing, have equity components to it, be very intentional and hands-on with companies that we're working with, but provide a different type of capital within that capital stack that really helps to drive uh, those companies forward. Because in, in a lot of cases, you know, venture equity, um, is is critically important to you know to to reduce the risk, have you know capital runway to you know build out you know pilot projects and tech. Um, but for really on capital scale, um, adding levels of credit or debt or components there, structured type of capital, um, was really missing from from the industry outside of like grant funding or DOE loans or other things like that. Um, so we put that together and really just been off to the races for the last uh, three and a half years. Our, our, our platform is funded via balance sheet from our affiliate. So we have a large pool of capital that we're investing in across a number of different uh, companies. And what's the advantage um, of that credit, you know, debt approach uh, combined with the venture capital um, for a company that, that you invest in? Um, how, what are the mechanics of it? So, you know, get, maybe walk us through a scenario and a typical investment scenario. 
Sure. So, you know, say um, a company has been funded um, that's doing that's doing something that in the climate space. Um, they've had a couple rounds of institutional uh, equity funding via, you know, starting from like angel friends and family to a pre-seed to a seed round to series A. And they continue to ideate, build out their, their, um, uh, their, their product or service, continue to try and scale the business. And they reach a point of commercialization. They start to have customers and they really need scale for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what is interesting is used a- appropriately is it's just a different form of, of, of capital within, within kind of the capital structure. The advantages are there's a few different types of advantages for having kind of more creative capital in place. One is that the dilution that you're receiving as a company um, is mitigated significantly from taking on debt financing, or as I like to call it, dequity uh, is what we do because we (laughs) typically do a combination of some equity and uh, and debt, Um, but but it's a it's much less dilution. So our co- overall cost of capital will always be less than what would be um, just straight equity financing. To mm-hmm. so all parties involved, it's actually very advantageous. So um, because of that dilution mm-hmm. factor, so existing investors won't have more dilution; they'll own less of their the company that they're already invested in. To the founders and the employees, um, will also you know, reap the benefits of not having that dilution. Um, and we can support specific types of growth. And then the use of, of proceeds can be very different. So if you think about it this way, sometimes just equity capital doesn't make any sense to fund certain things. So if you're trying to like build, um, you know, build a new facility or build uh, some inventory that's going to be turned over pretty immediately, there really wouldn't be any need to dilute your company down if you're going to see an ROI within a shorter time frame that you would having more quote unquote permanent capital. Um, so it's it's just kind of conceptualizing, you know, there's different types of even though you know money is fungible, you can use it for very very distinctly different things if it's segmented that way. Hmm. It's, it's so interesting. So um, we've got a few minutes left, Brian. I, I wanted to ask you for about um, two minute, a two-minute look into your crystal ball. Um, this, uh, you've got a new approach to this area, to this, to this uh, sector. And um, at a time when people and governments and institutions are embracing uh, impact climate change and really trying to do something about it. So conditions to me seem to be getting much more optimal than they used to be. So what does that mean for you as an investor? And then for you just as kind of an inhabitant of uh, planet earth, um, what do you think, what do you, when you look in your crystal ball, what do you, what do you see in it on the horizon? So um, kind of uh, specifically going down the lane within Climate-related in, investing. I, I mean, I I think yeah. just overall, I'm I'm incredibly optimistic um, because of mm. uh, a number of those factors and positive forces that are really trying to drive change. And the the overall narrative has shifted dramatically from a storytelling uh, aspect, which I, I think is really important 
which is which has helped to uplift the the global the global picture of what's really what's really going on. So historically, yeah. there's there's been you know, um, and you've probably seen this in, in in your world as a storyteller yourself. And um, you know, the looking at it's been a lot of for years, kind of doom and gloom uh, on what is going on with climate and you know, there's problems out there and people raising their hands and, and doing that, but it, it's a lot of shouting and not much action. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, even from various like media outlets, documentaries or others, they're still hinging on, had been hinging on, here's the doom scenario, but there's maybe some light at the end of the tunnel. Now what's really interesting is because there's been such an advent of technology to address a lot of the problems that we're trying to face, um, that mm. um, that that narrative has really shifted to a, a much more positive uh, outcome. Like there is things we can we can actually start to see a, a, a material shift in change, and we we can see it even just from you know um, uh, if you're looking at energy usage, for example. There's been I, I think a three uh, on a relative basis, a 3x change in the, just the last few years of the amount of overall renewable energy used by the entire United States mm. grid than it was just a few years ago. And, and you yeah. know, offsetting, and that's starting to shift more and more because also the just cost parity started to get uh, in place where um, it's cheaper for renewable energy than it is for using fossil fuel production. And that, that happened a few years ago yeah. as well. So the economics of it start to make a lot more sense. Um, that that is good yeah. news. Yeah, and you know, and on the storytelling side, I've I've for years had discussions with my friends in the environment in the environmental climate change movement, and saying, you know, what you're saying is basically uh, to those who oppose you is we're right, you're wrong, you've screwed everything up, you know, it's your fault. And I said. You know, there's an opportunity here, and I think this speaks to what you're saying. There's an opportunity here to say, you know what? We're about to partake in the greatest story ever told. It's going to be the story of how people save themselves from themselves. And, you know, what a great story. You know, maybe the story doesn't have to be we screwed the whole thing up and it's over. Maybe the story is, no, it's it's not going to be all screwed up. It's going to be fixed and uh, and who knows what that what that might mean for the world? Yeah, I think forward. there's exactly so. exactly right. You know, there's a big thing about you know there's the ability for regeneration as well. So things that we've done to the planet that can be uh, restorative to get a lot of those things from restorative yeah. from you know um, rainforest to kind of ocean uh, and uh, marine life, which you know the, the oceans is actually the largest carbon sink in, in the world. And um, more so mm -hmm. than all of the, you know, rainforest and uh, forest combined. So I, I think there's, yeah. there's a big story to be told there and uh, very optimistic that we'll all be here to tell that story. <laughs> well, you will be, I may not, but, but <laughs> you, you, you've got some runway. But um, Brian Wayne is the co-founder and director of the Impact Venture Credit Strategy, of Impact Venture Credit Strategy at Aegon Asset Management. And he has um, 
in this podcast left me left me with a, a nice feeling of hope, a nice warm feeling of hope. So thank you, Brian. Thank you for being our inaugural guest on The Angel. Um, hopefully this will not be too hard for you to live down over time, but uh, you, you're very gracious to uh, take the leap. Thank so, you so much for having me. Um, I really, really appreciate it, and we'll continue this conversation. Love to. Thanks for listening to The Angel, Angel Number One. And um, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it. I'm Michael Conniff. You can reach me at, at Michael Conniff, M I C H A E L C O N N I F F dot com or at Michael Conniff at Twitter. Um, uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon.